this is one of the most intriguing realms in Buddhist uh, cosmology, and a lot of people don't know about this. Quite often you'll hear this idea that in Buddhism there's no heaven and no hell, that's all Christian stuff. But we're actually going to talk about the details of the six sensuous heavens. Mm-hmm. And in Christianity, there's there's very little in the way of detail, especially early Christianity. Buddhism is fully fleshed out um, and describes in great detail all these levels of uh, the sensuous heavens. So maybe just describe why why do they call them sensuous heavens? They're called that because uh, they are still within the sphere of sensuality, which uh, um, incorporates all the realms, uh, the human realm and the lower realms as well. These, this is the sense-desire plane. And it's quite distinct from the higher realms, which the, the realm of form and the realm of the formless that are beyond sensuality. Um, so uh, the the beings that are reborn into the sensual heavens enjoy sensual pleasures mm-hmm. of a, a very refined form, and it, it gets increasingly refined as um, we proceed upwards through the levels. There's six levels altogether, uh, and the, the sensual pleasures are similar but more. Uh, more delightful, more refined, more subtle than what we experience on Earth. They're food, sex, music, adornments, beautiful palaces, chariots, uh, um, song and dance. Usually the, the, the gods are described the, like Saka having thousands of dancing girls, acharas. Yeah, so the it's usually called sensuous, but really what it means is that the senses of sight, sound, smell, taste, touch are employed. Yes. So not necessarily terribly sensuous indulgence, but the, 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 the pleasure and happiness is experienced through the senses. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and they, they have um, little or nothing in the way of the, <clears throat> the miseries of the human realm. Yeah. Like, like sickness, old age... Right. You know, they, um, when they come to die at the end of their very long lifespans, they have five signs that appear, and this is their version of old age. Mm-hmm. Just shortly before they die, as a warning, um, their garments become wrinkled, mm-hmm. their garlands fade, their armpits become sweaty. <laughs> They um, become restless on their seat, mm-hmm. um, and their their luster, uh, their their radiance fades. Yes. So, so this is uh, this is their equivalent of old age. So it's a, you know a lot less suffering than you know Alzheimer's and uh, rheumatism <laughs> and yes. Yeah. And then uh, death occurs shortly after. Yes. And that death takes the form of what? It's a uh, it's basically just disappearing, yes. the same as when they're born. Mm-hmm. They do not reproduce sexually, although they, they have sex for pleasure. Mm-hmm. They're divided into male and female genders, which the Brahma realms are not. 
and these sensual heavens are divided into genders and they enjoy sexual pleasure, but they don't reproduce that way. When someone is born into that realm, they just appear, like poof, they're there. This is one of the great questions in the West about uh, for Christianity is like, is there sex in heaven? And most people say, if there's not, then I don't want to go there. <laughs> so Buddhism explicitly answers this question, at in least... The, in the lower heavens. In the, in the lower heavens, heavens yes. Yeah, the, the Brahma realms get beyond all this messy biological stuff. <laughs> but in the sensual heavens, there's still genders. There is a, um, a an interesting passage that deals with the sexuality in the different heavens mm. that is exemplar for all other types of sensual pleasure, that they become more refined and subtle as we go up. Right. So this is, you might see some sort of equivalent to this in the human realm in terms of refinements of uh, intimacy and so forth. Mm. So let's just talk about this. Is there actual uh, sexuality, sexual intercourse in some levels of the heavens? In the first two heavens, the the Chaturmarajika and Tawatinsa, they're still in contact with the physical earth. They're on Mount Sinaru. Mm -hmm. The beings copulate much like humans, except that the male does not emit any fluid. There's just an exchange of energy. Right, because there's no birth process. Yes. But that's the last... Tawatinks is the highest level in which there's penetration. Mm-hmm. In the Yama heaven, the next one up. Yeah, which is the first level above, above Mount Sinaru. Yes. Yes. Yeah. In the Yama heaven, the beings uh, fondle and caress each other, but there's no penetration. Uh-huh. And, and they manage to have some sort of refined pleasure from this. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And the uh, the Sita heaven, they merely hold hands and gaze into each other's eyes. I see. Uh, And then in the um, fifth heaven, they merely gaze into each other's eyes and smile without physical contact Uh and bliss out, just like that. Then the the highest heaven Mm -hmm. of the sensual realms, they gaze without without smiling. (laughs) (laughs) And... I imagine this gazing can go on for quite some time as well. Yes, because they have immensely long lifespans. Yes. So, so they can... So this is kind of an ecstasy it. over long periods of time. Now, this does remind me of being a teenager, walking in the rain with my mm. other, my girlfriend in grade nine or something. Sort yeah, of some, some, somebody told eyes. me when I gave this teaching once, somebody said, that sounds like high school in reverse. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, and, and when you're young, you're... you're you are more sensitive and open to these things. And so you do have a little intimation of, although not everybody is that refined. Obviously in the human realm, there's some very coarse inter- interactions, sexual interactions, and only refined consciousness can appreciate those kind of gazing at individuals' eyes, etc. I think all, all sensual pleasures are, are similar in that they have you know levels of refinement. Yeah. I sometimes give the example of, of music. Mm-hmm. You know, you can have music that's very coarse and rhythmic and yeah. appeals to a a lower kind <coughs> a lower kind of level of consciousness, yeah. all the way up to very fine line concertos, mm-hmm. you know. And I think this is important because it says something about sensuality in general, that you know, we tend to be a bit too black and white in looking at these things. Yeah. 
that if you go through the heaven realm, sensuality gradually it becomes more refined and attenuates so that the highest level, it's not much of a jump to get beyond sensuality altogether. Right, to right? transcend that. Yeah. And we'll talk about the realms above that later on, but the realms above that are really non-sensuous, non-sensual, mm -hmm. don't involve sights and sounds, smells, tastes, touches, or even ideas, but they are even more pleasurable and the lifespans are longer. Yes. So Buddhism is not really trying to throw a wet blanket on happiness uh, and uh, pleasure, but is just pointing out that there are more and more and higher refined pleasures. Yes. And that uh, once you get in into well-developed de well meditation, one can transcend the sensuous. So a lot of people ask us why we, when you go to a monastery, you take eight precepts, and one of them is to abstain from music and singing and dancing and mm. various kind of sensuous indulgence, including the wearing of perfume and garlands. And it's not that those things are all that evil, but they for the development of the very higher, the more refined mind, they tend to be mutually exclusive. So the mm. sensuous tends to interfere and coarsen the mind and then prevent the transcendence into this. It keeps your mind operating on that level, yeah. the sense-desire plane level. Yeah. And it, it's only by transcending that that one can experience the non-sensual higher right. levels that are actually more blissful, more pleasant. And one uh, might uh, also say that if one manages to get into these non-sensual, above the sensual heavens, or through the experience of meditation, that the sensual experiences tend to pale in comparison. So one might find that one's obsession with uh, sensory pleasures drops away and mm. diminishes, mm. Uh, perhaps to the surprise of the meditator. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, so let's, uh, let's talk a little more about these beings. Uh, apparently they're exquisitely beautiful mm -hmm. as well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, um, perfectly formed and beautiful, radiant and wear you know, gorgeous garments and ornaments and things. Right. And it said that the males all appear to be perpetually about 25 years old mm -hmm. by human standards and the females about 16. Yeah, 16. So this is an Asian Indian standards of, of beauty. The height of beauty. And, yeah, I think they had a sense that the height of beauty for males is reached about 25 and the height of beauty for women about 16. Mm. So, um, and they, the, these, this lowest uh, heaven, this Yama Deva is uh, it's kind of like an uh, a million year English garden party uh, mm -hmm. yeah. idea. It's it's quite uh, I, mean, I think most people find it uh, would find it appealing that often the descriptions of the Christian heavens are are very vague and problematic like why do you want to go there yeah. and uh, <laughs> yeah. so this is a something you can relate to uh, yes. it's charming. What is it what, what how is it that these beings have arrived there? What is the fuel for arriving in those places? Um, making good karma and with the added um, factor of generosity mm -hmm. is, is, first of all, you know, keeping the five precepts. Mm -hmm. um, 
And uh, usually in, when we have case studies and stories in the Wamanawatu, mm -hmm. stories of the heavenly realms, and they talk about the karma beings make, it usually involves some uh, act of generosity. That, mm -hmm. uh, which is then, this is a kind of a, a mirror image of the Peta realm we talked about earlier, where people do some bad deed on earth and mm -hmm. then they suffer something equivalent. In the um, heavenly realm, uh, often they get some special reward based on what you know, what they gave. Yes. Like uh, uh, they gave lotus flowers, and they give a they they live in a palace surrounded by beautiful lotus ponds mm -hmm. and so on. Yeah. And uh, I remember one her woman had given a lantern to a monastery, and then she's radiantly luminous. Yes. So ra light radiates from her body very beautifully yeah and they uh do they have recollection of their life as a human generally they do they have they can recollect their uh, immediately preceding life but not beyond that and i think it seems to me to make sense that the reason why is that the their birth in heaven is not traumatic right Whereas human birth is a trauma, it's a nine-month-in-the-womb thing. Yeah. Whatever happens before, you had to go through death and so forth. Then you're nine months in the womb, and then you're helpless for several years. Yeah. Can't speak and so forth. And so by the time you finish that, no wonder you can't remember anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> These beings just appear fully formed. Fully formed. So that so. they... Uh, in, in a mansion, mm -hmm. surrounded by attendants and all their right. paraphernalia. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that, yeah, there's no trauma involved. Yeah, so the, the, there's no trauma-induced amnesia. There is one story about a, a, a monk who uh, overexerted himself in his meditation and died during walking meditation mm -hmm. and appeared in, in a heavenly mansion. And at first he was confused and didn't know where he was. And he, these attendants, the dancing girls, they, they said, so, uh, uh, you're not a monk anymore. Now you're a dewa. You can enjoy sensual pleasure. And he was horrified. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't want to do that. He wanted to continue yes. his practice. Right. And that's uh, uh, the, the idea of aspiring as a monk, aspiring to the sensuous heavens is a is considered uh, kind of a dukkata or a wrongdoing to aspire. Yeah, to. it's it, a lowly kind of thing. It's a low. It's a kind of a booby prize. Yeah. If if nothing works out for you, there's you the may story end up. story of Nanda. Uh huh. There's one of the Buddha's um, cousins actually, and um, he was engaged to be married to uh, one of the most beautiful women in. Sakyan Republic and the Sakyan women were renowned all over India as being particularly good-looking and, and uh, he carried the Buddha's bowl back to the monastery for him as a gesture of respect and became overcome with faith and decided to ordain on the spur of the moment but the last time he'd seen his beloved his fiancee she was standing on the porch with her hair disheveled and crying out come back soon my love Mm -hmm. Right, and he couldn't get this image out of his mind when he's practicing. Right, mm -hmm. so um, uh, the Buddha, to help him, the Buddha took him up to Tawatinsa Heaven, and on the way, as they flew up the slopes of Mount Sinaru, they passed a, a patch of forest 
that had been burned over by forest fire. And there was a, a female monkey half charred hanging to a branch. And the Buddha said, you see that monkey, remember that sight. You know, and then they get up to heaven and um, he sees the Saka and the, comes to pay respect to the Buddha attended by his 84,000 achars, <laughs> dancing girls. And they're, and they're um, exquisitely lovely beyond any kind of human comprehension. Right? And Nanda uh, you know, is kind of blown away by this. He's still really caught in sensuality. And um, the on the on the way back, the Buddha says, "What do you think of your fiance now? You've seen a charis." And he says, "I can't tell the difference between her and that charred monkey." <laughs> <laughs> and and the and so he starts. Pra- and the Buddha says, "If you practice hard, you'll be reborn in Talatinsa, and, and you'll have charis of your own." Mm-hmm. So um, the other monks make fun of him after that. As he's called him a hireling, uh-huh. right? And, uh, you know, he's just practicing for lowly pleasures and uh, eventually he gets past that and mm-hmm. attains uh, to the unconditioned and becomes an arahant mm-hmm. and he tells the Buddha uh, I release you from your your promise <laughs> and the Buddha says the, the instant you attained I was released from the promise <laughs> <laughs> yes bypassing not only human uh, attraction but also the Attraction of the, the sensuous heavens. There's another story about a, a man who, um, by chance, some of the devas had come to earth for some reason. Mm-hmm. He saw some acharas and he became so obsessed with them that he pined away and died. Mm-hmm. He couldn't, you know, use this, the, the uh, loveliness of them is beyond human comprehension. Right. And an ordinary human can't handle it yeah so it's better it's better not to catch a glimpse of these mm. uh, the the human realm tends to become a base and coarse mm. after that site yeah. now it's interesting that you mentioned that he had seen these acharas uh, which uh, they're kind of heavenly dancing girls and um, what is the Interpenetration between the human realm and the heavens. Do the do the angels appear on a regular basis in the human realm, or are they? On rare occasions, they do, mm-hmm. and normally they're not visible to humans. Mm-hmm. It may be that humans see them as a bright light. Like there is one story of where they come to uh, see the Buddha, and. Um, the Buddha's in a cave and ha- on the side of a mountain and the villagers below, they see this brilliant light in the mountain. They think the mountain's on fire. Yeah. And it's the devas coming to see the Buddha. Right. So, yes, they appear as lights and there's many descriptions of them visiting the Buddha in the Jetavana grove, the Jetavana mm-hmm. monastery and lighting up the entire uh, grove with their yes. light. And that yes. usually happened... Uh, Somewhere after 10 at night, right? Between yeah. 10 and 2. Yeah. After he's finished teaching humans, then the devas visit him and he often gives teachings. Because the devas are not necessarily... They're, they're beautiful and they have at some point been virtuous, but they're not necessarily wise. No, no. Most of them, most of them are not. There, there's, there's some cases of devas that do attain to stream entry. This mm-hmm. does occur, but... Uh, it's rare and it's difficult for them because they uh, 
they don't have um, an experience of dukkha, of suffering. Mm-hmm. So the, the teachings are not, uh, they don't resonate with them. Right. You know? And in fact, uh, when it's said when the Buddha teaches in the heaven realms, many of them become frightened. They don't want to hear about ah. death and impermanence. They have a existential dread mm-hmm. when he informs them that even this beautiful realm that they're in is impermanent. Yes. And that they must eventually die because it'd be very easy to forget that fact. Yeah. yeah. In fact, some of them may may have never seen anybody die. Yes. And they may have, there may be cliques of devas that are convinced they're eternal. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. This is quite so the case because they, they was when they hear the Buddha talk about death, some of them exclaim, "Oh, so we are not imper- we are not permanent." Uh-huh. This is a shock yes. to them. This is a shock. Yes. So, uh, and of course, the in the West, the Christian idea of of eternal heaven mm. and unfortunate opposite, the eternal hell. Where we see in Buddhism that neither heaven nor hell, thankfully, is Mm -hmm. uh, eternal. Um, Let's just go up the the levels of heaven. So this Yama realm is above Sinaru, and that that would is that the third level of heaven? That's the third heaven. There's uh, Tawatinks is the the second. It's the the highest that's in contact with the earth, mm-hmm. and it's at the top of Mount Sidaru, which is 84,000 yojin is above sea level. Mm-hmm. And then um, the Yama heaven is 84,000 yojin is above that. Mm-hmm. Now, each successive realm is twice as high, so the next one is then you know, 168,000 mm-hmm. yojin is, and so on. And each one is a, re- a reflection or refinement of the previous one. The geography is similar. Each one has this, um, a Nandana grove, mm-hmm. which is the, like the central pleasure park. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but it becomes more beautiful and more exquisite in each new version. Mm-hmm. So they're like reflections or translations of, of each other at more and more refined levels. The Yama world is not described in any detail. It's, it's, um, but it's the first heaven that is not in contact with the earth, and it's the first level where there's no conflict. Mm-hmm. It's peaceful. Right, and we talked about the Asuras and the conflict with the, um, the Tawatinsa, and they, they in Tawatinsa, while it's in heaven, there's still uh, some sort of uh, combat going on with with lower levels. Yeah. So this is free, free from. It's a non-conflict zone. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They're completely peaceful, and um, the next level up is to Sita Heaven, which mm-hmm. is a special place because it's where the Bodhisattva, the Buddha to be, yes, appears for his final life before becoming the Buddha. He's completed. During the in the course of uh, his bodhisattva career, he's perfected all the paramis, mm-hmm. uh, and then this is kind of like his rest or vacation mm-hmm. before taking on the Buddha role. Right. So, uh, I think that the next Buddha should be in the into Sita heaven. Yes, uh, that, that's Mateya. Yes, yes. 
Uh, All right, the next, rather not the next Buddha, the, the Bodhisattva yeah, yeah, who will be who become the next, the next Buddha, Buddha. Yes, is into Sita. Yes, so he's there currently, right. waiting for his rebirth as a yes. human. So um, this is rather yeah. arcane information. Uh, it's it's not it's common knowledge in in Asia, but in the West, where you just go take a Vipassana course or a meta retreat, weekend retreat, uh, such <laughs> the details like this are <laughs> rarely talked about. <Yeah. laughs> but this is a very it's it's very rich to contemplate this that the this is already taking place simultaneously in existence as the next Bodhisattva. There's a story in the Wamanawatu of a, a pious lay Buddhist who's dying, and he's uh, the, the monks come to chant mm-hmm. and. He cries out, "Wait, wait!" And the monks think he's telling them to, you know, to get get lost. You know, they don't want. To, so they leave, mm-hmm. and this, and his family is, "Why did you drive the monks away?" He says, "I'm not telling them to wait. I wanted them to finish their chanting. Mm-hmm. I'm telling the Dewas to wait." Oh. There were six Dewa chariots mm-hmm. in the air above him from the six heavens, mm-hmm. and they were they were all um, asking him to come to our realm, oh. and. Uh, so he asks his daughter, uh, my dear, what, which heaven do you think I should choose? Hmm. And she says, choose to see the heaven, because that is where the Bodhisattva is. Wow. So um, uh, she gives him a, a garland of flowers and he throws it over the yoke of the, the uh, chariot from Tusita. Mm-hmm. And the other people around, they don't see the chariots, but they see the garland suspended in space. Hmm. Okay. And he he instantly dies and is carried away in the chariot to Tusita Heaven. It's it's interesting why Tusita, the fourth level, is preferred by the Bodhisattva, neither not the lower one, which is a little on the sensuous side, and not the next levels up. It seems to be that that would be the most conducive, apparently, for. Well, the next two levels up are are rather special in their own ways mm-hmm. as well. And um, I think for a Bodhisattva, this is the, to see the heaven would be like the 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 peak of contentment. The name means contentment, mm-hmm. so it's like contented, very peaceful, and the sensual pleasures there are very subtle and refined. Mm-hmm. It's not coarse and grosser like the previous realms. Um, but the, the next. The next realm up is the uh, Nimanarati realm, is the realm of those who delight in creation. Mm-hmm. So this is creation meaning as like an artistic uh, production? Well, it, broadly, broadly speaking, yes, you could say that. It's whatever they um, desire and imagine with their minds manifests for them. Mm-hmm. So if they want a big palace with lotuses and trees and, you know, if they want a chariot, whatever they want, they yeah. can just imagine it and it, it appears. Yes. Um, this is um, a very high level of good karma mm-hmm. because all, all in the lower levels, the beings enjoy, you know, palaces and ponds and chariots and all sorts of, you know, ornaments and those appear magically for them, but they don't they don't create them directly with their mind, they're right. created by their karma. Yes. But now these beings at this level have such a 
powerfully good karma that they're able to control it and manifest whatever they choose as a, as a reality to live in. What they really have is imagination, um, the power of imagination. Yes. And this, if you are an imaginative person, you may not realize that not everybody has an imagination. They, they, mm. they need the actual substantial object or experience. They can't imagine the experience. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so this is a special... And, uh, you know, if you're a reader of books or, you know, uh, you, uh, you met artistic and so forth, you're able to create these um, realms in your mind without mm. having to have the, the literal experience. Yes. Yeah. And that makes that type of person a little mysterious to people. They don't know, we don't know, how do these composers do this? How do these, how do these creators do this? It's mm. coming out of their imagination. Mm. Uh, so it puts them in that, that, the fifth level is this realm of creation. But one should not think that simply being in the arts or in something like that automatically delivers you into the heavens. Mm. So I think this has to be connected with virtue mm -hmm. and perhaps some sort of generosity as well. Yes. Yeah. Uh, maybe the maybe the offering of arts at, at the service of Dhamma or something like that. Yeah. Mm. Well, you see in uh, most of the great uh, religious cultures, art really is there not as an end in itself, but as a means of expression of the highest truths. Yeah. And so that type of, perhaps that's what leads to this level of heavenly creation. There's also, I think, um, uh, a relationship to our faculty of perception that in our, in this level of existence as ordinary human beings, our perception is very constrained by sense data. Mm -hmm. you know, we, we, but we are, we are, if you understand how consciousness and perception works, we are, are creating the world that we actually live in. Mm -hmm. We don't directly experience the outer world. We get signals coming in from the senses and then perception creates a, a simulation mm -hmm. that we experience. And when we're dreaming at night, then the dreams are more free. They're not constrained. So mm -hmm. we're experiencing something like the Namanarati level mm -hmm. of consciousness when we're dreaming. I think the the other Dewa realms in between, uh, it, they're, they're, they're somewhere in between waking and dreaming. Mm -hmm. There's more, the perception is more free yes. until you get to the Namanarati level where they have total control yes. over the experience like they create the world they live in with their will mm -hmm. you know they choose yeah, almost lucid dreaming almost. yes yeah. yes yes yeah. very much like lucid dreaming yeah. and there's one more to go yes um what it. possibly could be above the level of this, pure mental creation this is the level of paranimata wasawati <laughs> those who delight in the creation of others uh. They don't even have to bother <laughs> with the act of creation. Yeah. The uh, Narati Devas serve them and yeah. create pleasures for them. Mm. And they don't even have to bother giving orders. Mm -hmm. the, the, it's said that the Narati Devas know exactly how to please them, just as uh, 
the king's cook knows exactly what dishes will please his master. Right. They're kind of parallel to aristocracy um, who have at their disposal all of the arts. Yes. The architecture, etc. And But they don't have to sweat and yeah. do their hands with creation themselves. Yes. And so that would be a parallel um, to the the hierarchical structure in the human realm of the connoisseurs yeah, of art. Yeah, yeah. So that's just fascinating that how it's interesting for people to you know, contemplate how you uh, would design the, the hierarchies of heaven, which are your senses of what is more pleasurable and refined. Uh, lots of people are, are quite surprised by this, but what investigating this, it really reveals how how wise and insightful this exploration of these sensuous realms, yeah. how well they understood the nature of the mind and the yeah. refined natures of consciousness. Yes. And it reveals a lot. It doesn't have to be just psychologized, but it, for anybody, uh, if you want higher and more refined happiness, you have to understand what is above your present experience mm -hmm. and to discover these things. This also has occurred to me thinking about this um, final level that this is meant to be the final attenuation of sensuality, like the very highest, most subtle form of sensuality. Right. And it ends up being uh, completely idle and useless. Mm -hmm. You know, they're, they're just supine beings without don't even exercise their will. They just mm -hmm. are bombarded with sensual experiences yeah. that are created for them by others. And they're just on the edge of entering the next realms of, of uh, subtle form. Yes. The Arupa, Jhana dwellings. And yes, yeah, where you're beyond sensual. Beyond, beyond the sensual, yeah. the happiness beyond the senses. Yes. Right. Which we will... Hopefully, de devote an entire um, interview to as well. Uh, one other detail about this um, Paranimita Vasavati realm is that uh, each realm has a as a king, right, mm -hmm. a lord, overlord, and the um, lord of this realm is Vasavati, mm -hmm. but he had he did, so he's like the highest lord of the whole sensual level but he doesn't rule completely without a rival. Hmm. In one corner of his kingdom, ruling as a rebel prince, is Mara. Ah, well, this is very, very interesting. So, again, I must point out the contrast to the Christian idea that Lucifer uh, was, of course, formerly, a, his name is Lucifer as in light, hmm. and he, is, he, li he reigns in hell. Yes. In the Buddhist version, that role of Lucifer, the tempter, etc., yeah. dwells in the highest, the sixth level yes. of sensuous heaven. Yes. It's very interesting they've placed him there. Yes. And I often think, you know, maybe maybe he's not he's not intrinsically attempting to be destructive. He just feels that all of the sensuous realms are his customers. Mm -hmm. So he's basically a Madison Avenue 
advertising executive mm-hmm. and wants to keep the, the customers because it, it reinforces his sense of ego. You know? Yeah, he wants to keep people locked into the sensual yeah. domain and uh, he doesn't necessarily want to make them suffer or to be evil, but he's willing to use that. Like he'll use sensual enticement and if right. that doesn't work, he can use terror. Yes, and so he finds it a threat when people are not appreciating his product anymore, mm. the sensuous product. And if they're on a spiritual path, a spiritual course, which is going, uh, abstaining from the sensuous, it, he becomes quite concerned that he's losing a customer. Yeah. And so very in many of the religious traditions where monastics or serious practitioners are... Uh, abstaining from the sensuous indulgence, Mara shows up in order to see if he can recover this customer Mm -hmm. he's in danger of losing. Mm -hmm. So those who are meditators should be aware that to expect some very interesting, tempting things to arrive on your doorstep if you are earnestly attempting to... uh, enter into states of deep samadhi because that's not a sensuous experience. And so some of the things you always wished for might appear at the door (laughs) just to distract you from this. And if not, then the opposite, which is fear and terror, anything to interrupt this, probably Mm. the first one will be a sensuous bribe. Mm -hmm. And if failing that, some sort of, uh, fear and horror perhaps to keep you away from this, uh, your concentration, to, to, to uh, break your concentration. Mm. So you should find that, see it's universal experience, so don't be bewildered by that. To It's nice to know, you know, to expect these things ahead of time. And, and uh, as in the scriptures they say, I know you, Mara. So, yeah. so Mara is... Um, is you, you have to be aware of the guises that Mara comes in mm. of sensuous temptation and also provoker of fear. Mm. <clears throat> now, when a person, this is a kind of an interesting thing, when a person does manage to enter into the jhana, Mara is not aware of this realm above him. him. What is Mara always a him? Yes, yeah, Mara <laughs> is a male figure. Uh, yeah. The idea that Mara doesn't go beyond the sensual realm is um, is a little bit debatable because mm-hmm. there is story of him interfering in the uh, first and the lowest level of the Brahma realm, uh, where a discursive activity still persists. Yes, yes. Um, the Buddha went to up into that realm at, at one time to confront one of the Brahmas, Baka, who had fallen into wrong view to try and correct him. And Mara followed him and occupied the mind of some of the lesser Brahmins mm-hmm. and caused them to say, uh, you know, to challenge the Buddha. Mm-hmm. And the, the commentary says that this is the highest level Mara can reach, is uh-huh. the very lowest level of the Brahma realm. I think uh, I've also heard that Mara becomes particularly um, alarmed when somebody goes off 
the radar. And in the second jhana, yeah. uh, you disappear. Yeah, you're and you're no longer... It's no longer possible for Mara to interfere with your. Yeah, he has no processes. power beyond yeah. uh, beyond the very lowest level of right. jhana. Yeah. And when Mara notices that you've gone off the radar, Mara makes a special effort to prevent you from doing that again, mm. to escape mm. to escape his realm, <laughs> so mm. electronic surveillance. <laughs> now you uh, actually wrote a whole little series of stories called uh, the what? Letter, letters, letters from, from Mara. Mara yeah which are kind of uh, a little bit modeled on the screw tape letters yes cs lewis yes. screw tape letters yeah. which were uh, very very popular um more or less letters and strategies from satan <laughs> yeah. interfering with the christian's progress so you remodeled it for the sake of buddhists but it's it's very informative. You get really get to know the uh, the realms of the heavens and and Mars strategies through mm. those letters. Uh, are you going to include those in your upcoming book on the? No, I no? do have a long section on Mara, uh-huh. but it's more like that. Uh-huh. Letters from Mara was playful. It was right. Is that it was kind of humorous? Published but, uh, available? Yes. For, yeah, it's yeah? published uh, by BPS. Okay, so. Those who are watching, um, if you want a playful uh, but informative um, exploration of Mara and the tactics of Mara, read Letters from Mara by Ajahn Punadamo, published by the Buddhist Publication Society of Kandy. <laughs>